0: Hey, Elizabeth Warren, I'm so happy you stopped by, you know, as I'm always telling you, I really am one of your biggest fans. I wonder if you might be able to answer some questions for the conspiracy guide audience today. Hold on a sec. I'm going to get me, um, a beer. Yeah, of course. No worries. The, uh, conspiracy guide refrigerator is always open to you. You know, me casa as su casa. Um, you want a beer? No thanks, Liz, but come on, you, you know I don't drink. Liz, what are you doing making all that noise back there? Have you been pre-gaming? All- are you drunk already? Hey, Robert, my husband Bruce hey. is now in here. Damn it, Bruce. I didn't invite you. I only invited Liz. So hey.
1: this is my sweetie. Hello. Um, <laughs> and I'm oh,
0: crazy. Yeah. I love you I love you, too. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. I'm glad you're here. Enjoy your beer. Aw, geez. Well, I'm not glad you're here. You guys are always doing this, showing up drunk and slobbering all over each other and stuff. You guys are gross. Anyway, Liz, if you could just please say a few things to the Conspiracy Guide audience since you're here anyway. Here's to 2019 and changing the world. Liz, it's 2023. Jeez, you got to cool it on the Michelob Ultras. Anyway, I'll see you later. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Conspiracy Guide. My name is Sean, and I will be your cool dad conspiracy guide. Ooh, I don't know about that one. I don't know about cool, but I am a dad, and I am the conspiracy guide, so I'll be that. I'll be that. And uh, I gotta say, as always, I have to say... Thank you so much for the listens and for the downloads because the podcast is doing great. I know I say that every week, but it just continues to grow and it's not because of the algorithms. got to be because of you guys, the listeners, the shares, the ratings, and the reviews. They're really, really helping and it's, and it's showing. So shout out to you, the listener. Thank you so much for that. I also have to shout out Minds. Minds is a social network. It's kind of an alternative to Twitter. It functions a lot like Twitter and I've been messing around with it lately and I really like it so far. And because Twitter seems to be up to some of their old shenanigans, I am going to go ahead and devote uh, my time to Minds and see how that works out. Because like I said, so far it seems pretty good. You can follow us over there at Conspiracy Guide. So Pretty easy to remember that one. Pretty easy to find us. So go ahead, if you're on Minds, give us a follow. And if you're not on Minds, check it out because it's pretty good so far. It doesn't seem to be the censorship, the shadow banning. We have very few followers, but the engagement is pretty high over there. So we like it so far. Now, this show initially wasn't meant to be for current events. At least that's not the way I had envisioned it when I started, but it's really hard just not to consider what's happening in the world and to not write a show about it. So right now there's so much in the news that is conspiracy related. It's a great time to be a conspiracy theorist. Did you see the January 6th stuff? There's a lot of, I guess, Footage coming out right now, new footage. It's not new, but it's been hidden for a long time, about January 6th. And so that story is really interesting because, fun fact, I was there. (laughs) I was there. So uh, I could definitely do a show about January 6th. I want to. Also, the banking crisis with that Silicon Valley Bank, that's huge news. That's the second biggest bank to fail in U.S. history. That's a big story. And I do have a background in banking and finance, so I want to do that story. And all this nonsense about the, the COVID lab leak origin, whatever, you've probably heard about that too. And if you've been paying attention, the lab leak was essentially the original theory about where COVID came from, but you weren't allowed to talk about it. Now, did it come from bat soup or was it leaked from a lab? Well, I don't think it's either of those things. And so I could do a show about that, but it is like drinking from a fire hose out there. There's so much going on and I have so many topics to cover, but if you have any ideas about shows that you would like us to do, please send an email or how about a message on minds, but love to hear from you about topics that you would like discussed here and now speaking of topics you may have seen the title for this episode and you're going what family what does that have to do with conspiracies well does have a lot to do with conspiracies because make no mistake about it like we talk about here all the time the tyrant's The scumbags, they don't like families. They like their own families, but they don't like your family and they don't want you to have a family. So make no mistake. There's absolutely a conspiracy to abolish the family as we know it. It's a lot like guns. And we just discussed that recently. Tyrants love guns for themselves. They love their security guards to have guns. They don't want you to have them. Well, the same holds true for families. So we're going to talk about the family today. And that's because, so the family is important because a strong family does not need a government or doesn't need the government that we have right now. And a weak family, a weak family is very dependent on the government. And when I say a weak family, uh, I'm also referring to sort of the breakup of the family or the uh, broken family structure. In in this way, uh, th- those families, those broken families, or those uh, families that have been weakened by the government itself or by the uh, you know financial. I guess, misincentives that we have. Those families are much more dependent on the government and, uh, you know, sort of a slave to the system. Now, you might wonder why do these oppressive governments, why do tyrants hate families so much? Because they do. So why do they hate them so much? Well, let's see. So have you ever... Have you ever heard the term a terrorist cell? You probably heard that a lot because after all, terrorism has been a a big topic, uh, you know, over the last several decades uh, in American history anyway. So terrorist cell. Now a cell can mean a lot of things. If you think about a beehive or you think about a jail cell, if you think about cell phones, a cell phone works because The towers, each tower represents a cell. And as you uh, maybe travel with your cell phone, your signal is being passed off from cell to cell. You can imagine it just like that beehive. If you imagine a battery, uh, a, a, a a battery essentially means an assembly of, and then each individual is a cell in that battery. So it just means the smallest individual functioning part of a system now when we're referring to a terrorist cell what they're referring to is called a clandestine cell system and it's essentially just a method for organizing a group of people so that those people can more effectively resist the penetration by an opposing organization. So it's pretty simple, It's just a very efficient way to organize people so that they can effectively counter an opposing organization, if that makes sense. Now, the reason that comes to mind is because when I envision the uh, nuclear family, I kind of think of a clandestine cell system. When I think of the strong nuclear family, it is impenetrable uh, to, you know, or by sort of oppressive governments. Uh, A strong family doesn't need the uh, belief systems or the support by the oppressive governments. And what a strong nuclear family should be is the kind of smallest, fully functional group. If you think about government and uh, at the top, we have this giant bloated and disgusting federal government. And then down from there, we have our state uh, governments. And then down from there, we have it to a county and then maybe a city level. Well, even smaller than, than that is the family because the family is a small government structure. And within that family, the loyalty should lie within the family structure. And ideally, the family should rely much less on the outside input And more so on what the family members itself devote to it. So in that way, the strong nuclear family, in my opinion, is much like a clandestine cell system or a terrorist cell (laughs) or think of a terrorist family. I'm doing air quotes there. Not really terrorist. But, you know, these days it seems like the government is treating families that way anyway. So, (laughs) Uh, Also, it's important to note that as I made this connection and looked into it further, I found a U.S. Army field manual, and it even refers to the nuclear family within its definition of a traditional cell. In fact, if you look it up under traditional cell in this field manual, it says the nuclear family. So I guess I was right to assume that. Now, so, so there you go. So, so now, so you can see why oppressive governments really hate strong families because they absolutely do. They absolutely do. Much like the government, I'm sorry, much like the guns that we previously discussed just a couple episodes ago. It's very similar. It's very similar. So whether it's the oppressive governments of say the Chinese or the Soviet or Um, Czechoslovakian or Italian or uh, USA, quite frankly, you're going to find attacks on the nuclear family and you're going to find uh, attacks on it that are meant to weaken it or dissolve it in a way that, that really points the loyalties of those individuals toward the government and not towards the family itself. Let's go into a little bit of history, some examples of this, and we should start with Marxism and kind of by extension, the examples from the Soviet Union. It's an easy place to start because in my opinion, the Marxists and again, by extension, the Soviets were making clear the objectives about their intentions for the family that I don't think we saw previously in history. Like they were putting this stuff down on paper that I don't think was so explicit before. And so we can um, start with with Marx and, and his, I guess you'd call him his writing partner, Engels. And um, first of all, let me say that At the origins with these two guys, I kind of sympathize with them, at least in their intentions, because when they were coming up with their theories in the mid 1800s, people were really kind of toiling in factories and working like slaves. And so I do think that something had to be done. Some kind of uprising had to happen so that people could live a a, a better quality of life. However, Marx and Engels they got it they got it really wrong because you can't just remake all of human psychology to to achieve these ends. But that's kind of a different topic for a different day. Let's talk about what Marx and uh, and Engels, Friedrich Engels thought about the family, because Marx he kind of went back and forth on his ideas about the family uh, during his lifetime. But but Angles, not so much. Uh, that guy really hated the family. He went hard against the family and he had just openly pronounced that he wanted to abolish the family structure altogether. In fact, he wrote a bunch of stuff after Marx died about the family that is attributed to Marx now and that he claimed uh, Marx wanted to write. But we can't really say now. So anyway, these two guys were heavily influenced by atheists. And I think central to their theories about wanting to abolish the family is because they believed that God was a manifestation of humans. And so that meant that humanity really, I guess, uh, didn't matter or was just here by chance. And so by that extension, they assumed that the family structure was a similar thing. Now, they had other reasons, too. Uh, This other guy who I'm blanking on his name kind of came up with some really crazy historical examples of why the family doesn't matter. And and um, looking back on it, it's actually a bunch of nonsense and and me, I think that the the atheist stuff was a bunch of nonsense because obviously I do believe in in God, a creator, and I believe that humans are d- a divine creation, and by that extension, so are families. But Marx, Engels, they didn't believe that. So the Marxists thought that they could abolish the family and kind of usher in this utopian. A communist idea and this collective of people would raise your children and uh, no family would be necessary. You don't need a family in this system because don't worry, you know, the, I guess, communist workers are going to act as the family and raise your children for you. So there's a book, um, now It's this is translated, but there's a book called The Worker, As from 1920s, and it's essentially a communist book. It's like a communist how-to guide or something or a propaganda uh, piece. But anyway, there's a section in it, and it's called Communism and the Family. And so I want to read a section of that for you to point out exactly what they mean. So here's quoting from The Worker. The family is withering away, not because it is being forcibly destroyed by the state, but because the family is ceasing to be a necessity. The state does not feed the family. Oh, excuse me. Jeez. The state does not need the family because the domestic economy is no longer profitable. The family distracts the worker from more useful and productive labor. So there you go. They want to reduce the person down to the worker and make sure that every bit of their, I guess, effort and ability is meant for work that propagates the state and not the family because they didn't think that was important. And in fact, another quote from that same book says, society will feed, bring up, and educate the child. Now, me, I don't want a collective of appointed people raising my kids. I care about my children individually and I want to raise them. I don't want some people that I don't know who may or may not be good people raising my kids because I'm personally invested in my children's lives. And the thing about the thing with these communists is the child itself is hardly considered in their ideas. And do children want to be raised by some community appointed group of quote workers no i don't think they do i don't think they do my experience shows me that kids want to be raised by their parents it's a natural and innate desire by the children and the communists they just don't consider it and so does this system that they presented uh, back in the 1850s or, or 1920s, does it sound familiar when you hear our politicians talk about you know, free daycare for all, pre-K for all, all the way up through free college? It's like they want to take our children from birth all the way up to adulthood and raise them for us. So they're trying to reduce mothers once again to workers. And I don't like that. I don't think it's a great idea. Now, I'm not saying that women and mothers shouldn't or can't be workers because they absolutely can. But I think a society that prioritizes that over families is going in the wrong direction. So by the way, just as an aside note, when I read this communist stuff and, um, again, I read it so you don't have to, you'll always notice these through lines within the communist theory. And that through line is free love. And uh, again, seeing a lot of that today and that free love stuff comes through in a way that just sort of feels creepy to me in this, uh, in this communist claptrap. And because I know a lot about cults and the one thing, the one central theme to cults is they're always trying to bang your wife. <laughs> and so I get the feeling that these dudes were just tying themselves into logic knots trying to justify this like community family approach so that they could accomplish what the cults <laughs> do without like couching it in those terms. They're like, "Yeah, we should just have a big free love community. Whatever. The kids can be raised by other people and we'll all just have a bunch of free love." So, my theory <clears throat> the Communists <laughs> like the cultists, they're just trying to trying to bang your wife with this elaborate plan. <laughs> All right, some other uh, some some other, I guess historic uh, uh, governmental attacks on the family. Another one that comes to mind is the child uh, one child policy in China. If there ever was an attack on family, That seems like it. And as we can see, it is having catastrophic downstream effects. I believe they're uh, trying to uh, import or even kidnap women from other areas because of these perverse incentives for the families to have a male child and and not a female one. Oh, what what a terrible policy. And could you imagine, could you imagine a government telling you how many children you could have that is despicable it's awful it's disgusting and it uh, seems like the u.s government is doing it right now i mean they're not telling you explicitly but uh they did roll out a vaccine that doesn't seem good for fertility and, and for kids anyway again another topic for another day and i might just be a conspiracy theorist who knows Uh, Czechoslovakia, another uh, good historic example, again, an extension of kind of the Soviet Union. But they had this really terrible system there under the uh, Soviet Union communist uh, Marxist Leninist system where they were using listening devices and this really awful system of bribes. And they used it to turn families against each other. They used it to break up the families. They used death and the uh, threats of death and violence and paranoia to kind of root out anyone who wasn't loyal to the murderous bastards at the top. And the families were the target because ultimately, if they broke up the families, the uh, individual members of that family would have nowhere else to turn but to the awful and oppressive government. Now, we have a uh, here in the U.S., a domestic example of this and uh, we can look historically to the black family in the u.s Uh, it's it's very unfortunate but the black family is a case study in government-induced family collapse it really is it's and it's a it's a tragic one but in the 1960s lbj who's now making his second appearance on the Conspiracy Guide podcast, LBJ, a world-class piece of shit, in my opinion. What he really, really wanted was welfare for the black family, but specifically for single black women. He really, really wanted it, and he instituted a whole system and, um, and groups of people that would make this happen. And he had these enforcement squads. And what they would do is they would go around to the houses of these uh, recipients, specifically the black recipients of this welfare policy, and they would make sure that there was no men in the house because they were intentionally trying to weaken the black family. And in case you think that I am uh, being too harsh about the intentions of LBJ, uh, maybe you think he was being benevolent. Offering this welfare assistance to these struggling black families. Well, let me give you a quote by LBJ. So here we go. Quote from Lyndon Johnson. These Negroes, they're getting uppity. uh, Excuse me. They're getting pretty uppity these days. And that's a problem for us. Since they've got something now they never had before. The political pull to back up their uppityness. Now, we've got to do something about this. We've got to give them a little something, just enough to quiet them down, but not enough to make a difference. Oh, wow. Isn't that nice of LBJ? No, it wasn't nice. It was evil. And in, and in case that's not enough for you, he is also credibly accused of saying, all have these N-words voting Democrat for 200 years. Yeah, that's what he said. So how this guy isn't relegated to the waste bin of history, I don't know. I don't know. Everything about the dude was crooked and disgusting. And that's why that's why he came up uh, in the uh, moon landing episode. Because the dude didn't have an honest bone in his body. Now, if that's not enough, if, <laughs> if that's not enough, I've got more. Uh, there was a guy at the time he was a senator. His name was Daniel Patrick Moynihan and he was sounding the alarm about these new increases in the welfare state. He wrote a 90 page report that's kind of it's called the Moynihan report these days. and he was specifically in this report talking about the black family. And this guy was on the same team. He was, he was also a a, a Democrat and he was, um, uh, uh, like a, like a, like a more liberal, you would say. And so, so because this report existed and because it was well known, because this guy was a Senator, that means that LBJ and his, you know, party of slave owners, essentially, they knew damn well what they were doing and they wanted it to happen Now, this guy Moynihan, he wrote later, and I'm going to read you a quote from him. This is what he said um, in the kind of aftermath of his report and really in the aftermath of the uh, increased welfare state. He wrote, a community that allows a large number of young men to grow up in broken families dominated by women, never acquiring any stable relationship to male authority that community asks for and gets chaos. That's what he said. And so I think we have seen that his words are prophetic and coming true. We have seen the sort of all out destruction of the black family in this country and, and the white family too, for that matter. And uh, I think he really was, and not LBJ. I think he really was the champion for black families, not his daughter, <laughs> not his, his daughter. Uh, maybe she is, but she's not a champion for Asians. <laughs> you gotta, I'll, I'll post a video about his daughter. It's really hilarious. Uh, she's clearly in New York city in this video and she's like all masked up and she's got this, uh, she's got, she's like yelling at these Asian people that go back to China and stuff. It's pretty funny. She's just, appears to be one of these uh, modern Democrat unhinged lunatics. It's really funny because you may not know this, but the uh, the mask that she's wearing, it's actually a, a face mask or whatever for a prominent women's, women's group in New York City. So Apparently, she's still a uh, progressive, but not so much <laughs> that she's accepting of Asians. Sorry about that, Mr. Moynihan. Sorry, your daughter <laughs> is a, a modern day bigot. Anyway, anyway, back to the uh, the results of these bad policies for the black family. In 1960, the rate of black babies being born to single mothers was only 22%. And it was pretty much in line with the rest of the country. Now, after these awful policies, these welfare policies, that figure is basically flipped. About 80% of black babies are now born to single mothers. That's awful. That's tragic. And it seems that the uh, nefarious intent of the increased welfare policies to black families in the 1960s have accomplished the Awful goals of the LBJ administration. The uh, poverty rates because of these single family household among black families is about double that of white families. And when I say poverty, poverty is really poor. Poverty is defined by $12,000 for a single individual and $20,000 a year for a family of three. So when they say poverty, they mean really, really poor. That is a tragedy. 40% Forty percent of abortions in this country are of black babies, and blacks make up about thirteen percent of the population. This is not good for families. It's not good for families. So I don't like that. I think it's awful, and I think we should um, we should do everything everything we can to fix that. And the jails, the jails are absolutely full of black men. It, it, you know what. The jails are absolutely full of everybody. Uh, There's about 1% of the overall population is in prison. One in a hundred people in the U.S. is incarcerated. But now when you go, when you take that figure a step further, you get to black men between the ages of 20 and 34, one in nine are in prison. That's insane. It's terrible. And... Is that because of institutional racism? Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's probably a factor. But is it more likely the result of poverty? Yes, I think that it is. In fact, I I know that it is. And I know that the best way to prevent yourself from uh, falling into the category of poverty is to come from a two-parent household. That's so the number one way you can avoid poverty is being a two-parent household. And um, almost 40% of black single mothers live below the poverty line. And that is compared to just 8% of their married counterparts. So it is a big difference and so i think we can see after all those stats that the results are in removing fathers from the home the government incentivizing that has really destroyed families it's been a disaster and it's uh, it's really the chaos that mr moynihan was warning about however the good news is if you're a black man in jail in massachusetts fear not You can now donate an organ, (laughs) donate one of your organs to get your sentence shorted in Massachusetts. So just like the Uyghurs in China, we created the conditions to get you in prison and now we're going to take your organs. Oh my Lord, what is happening in this country? Elizabeth Warren, that's your state. (laughs) That's your state. Don't let that happen. (laughs) Oh, what are you doing, Liz? What are you doing? My girl, Liz. Just kidding. I only have one girl. That's my wife. (laughs) But she knows about, she knows about Elizabeth Warren. She knows how I feel about Elizabeth Warren. Speaking, speaking of women with bad haircuts, you can tease out the intentions of these politicians, if you know where to look, quoting Hillary Clinton, I don't feel no ways tired. (laughs) Just kidding. That's that's not the quote I am referring to. What I'm what the quote, (laughs) (coughs) excuse me, the quote that I am referring to from Hillary Clinton, she said it a bunch of times, she says it is takes a village. That's what she said a lot. It takes a village. In fact, she wrote a children's book by the same name. I, who knows? Maybe, I don't know why she wrote the children's book. Maybe, maybe it was so that her husband could use it to lure children to an Island. <laughs> Allegedly. I don't know. He flew on the plane 26 times. I don't know. Anyway, back to it takes a village. Hillary said this all the time, and you know how they're always saying that on the right, there's dog whistles, they're dog whistling. Well, that's what Hillary was doing with It Takes a Village, because she is referring to, she is referring to that community or that collective standard for raising a family. And the people that she was talking to knew what she was talking about. It was her dog whistle to the communists. So there you go. It Takes a Village. But the village sucks. I don't want the village. And you know, because I treat this podcast like the psychiatrist couch, I'm going to share with you something that bothers me. Now, I was in Las Vegas not too long ago. And when I was there, I was driving on the freeway and I saw this big building and it had signs all over the outside. And it was a child care center. And the sign said, 24 hours a day, Seven days a week, 365 days a year, round the clock childcare. And that still bothers me. It really hurts my heart. And, you know, I don't know why, but I kind of do know why that bothers me, why it hurts my heart so much. Just this, just this vision of my head of, children having to go to a child care center at these weird hours of the night, you know, graveyard shift, child care, whatever. It just, it just hurts my heart. Not because the parent had to make the hard decision of doing that, but because it's a necessity at some point, that's why it hurts me because as a society, we should be able to do better than that. And you know what, uh, You know, no, no shade to somebody that has to make that choice because they're probably not making it as the optimum choice for their life. But again, reading that, seeing that building, it just really hurt me. And um, it, it makes me think, it makes me think about this. It takes a village. It makes me think that we, the community will raise your kids. You can go be a casino dealer on the graveyard shift or a stripper, God forbid, you know, whatever you have to do, but you know, devote yourself to that work, devote yourself to that work. uh, because, uh, because you are the worker and we are the collective that will raise your family. And, um, you know, even if you don't need the graveyard shift childcare, which, which I hope you don't, uh, you still have the schools. You still have the government indoctrination camps that are public schools. And are these schools, are they teaching the virtue of the nuclear family? Are they reinforcing the family values that we cherish in the public schools? No, no, of course, absolutely not. What are they doing these days? Well, well, the videos that I see pretty much show that they're trying to Uh, you know transition your child in secret they're teaching them about anal sex and masturbation who knows what is going on in these disgusting schools these days but you know they're teaching your kid that the sort of greatest achievement that they can uh, that they can have in their life, or the greatest moral good that they can achieve, is to be gay or a transvestite or a bisexual or one of the increasing letters in the L B G T Q I A A plus K whatever acronym. And are these things? Uh, Are these things, are you free to do these things? Yes, I do believe you should be free to be any of those things. Again, you do you, boo-boo. But are these things good for families? Are they the highest moral achievement for a society? I don't think so. No, I don't think that chemically castrating children and surgically removing those organs are good for creating families because because biology, because you can't have a family in uh, that scenario. And and this brings me to another point that may not be well received, but I do not think that gay couples should be able to adopt children. And I didn't always think that because I thought there was a uh, backlog of children that needed families that were sitting around in these adoption agencies that needed families, but uh, but I know now, um, because of some research that that my wife and I did, that that is not the case with adoptions. Uh, there are plenty of. Uh, parents willing to adopt babies in fact there's quite a backlog of parents and it's a very expensive process to go through and also I have seen the I have seen the bond I have seen the uh natural and divine relationship of my children when they're babies to their mother and I think that denying a baby that is, it's frankly disgusting, and when I see these people like Pete Buttigieg and Sam Harris and these guys adopting babies, it quite frankly makes me want to throw up. And that's because it's abuse to me. It is abuse denying a baby that was born in the that was created in the womb of a woman and born from her to deny them that bond. It makes me want to cry. It really does. And you may disagree with me on that one because a lot of people seem to. But when I really thought about it deeply, that's how I feel about that. So when I'm talking about a nuclear family, yes, I think that can include heterosexuals that adopt a child in need. But in my opinion, it excludes gay couples. It absolutely does. And I'm sorry if that offends you. But that is my honest conclusion that I have come to, and I said I would be honest here. And um, back to schools, back to schools. Uh, how, how many of the the teachers uh, these days, and you know, if you're if you're following libs of TikTok or something, you're probably seeing an outsized amount of these. But how many of these teachers have like BLM, Black Lives Matter fla- flags in their? In their classrooms, or or even just are sympathetic to the ideas of of Black Lives Matter, because let me tell you, Black Lives Matter. I think the last thing they're concerned with is actual Black Lives Mattering, because you know what they used to have on their uh, website? They used to have a page that said "What We Believe," and on that "What We Believe" page, one of their statements was. We mean to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. That's right. That's what Black Lives Matter believes because it's on their what we believe page. They want to disrupt the Western family. And so they're pretty crystal clear about that. And so these teachers, these progressive teachers that are teaching your children, um, do they know this? Maybe. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But... Uh, I think we can see how the Marxist infiltration is happening, because one thing we have seen is that uh, Black Lives Matter doesn't seem to give a damn about black lives, but they do seem to care about propagating a communist narrative throughout our country. And so, uh, yeah, be aware of that. Be aware of what your children are being taught in the public schools. I'm going to do an episode on schooling because you may, may also not be aware that some kids don't go to school. <laughs> and it's perfectly okay. I know one of them. Not me. I went to, uh, I went to school, I went to all the public schools and stuff, but I actually know somebody who didn't go to school. They did go to college because they wanted to, and it worked out just fine for them. So anyway, stay tuned for that. Now, maybe maybe we just shouldn't have kids at all, right? Maybe we shouldn't have kids because, because of your carbon footprint. We've heard about this a lot lately. The climate cultists uh, have made the claim that you shouldn't have a kid because the, the best way, the best way to lower your carbon footprint is to not bring another one of these useful eaters into the world. At least that's what they would tell you. It's anti-human. It's anti-family. And, uh, and it's a cult, the, the, the climate change, uh, narrative it's a cult. And so, uh, so yeah, the, um, you know, here's what I think <laughs> the best way to lower your carbon footprint. <laughs> those of you who are advocating for this is to actually just take yourself out of the equation. I'm not advocating for it. But theoretically, (laughs) theoretically, it seems like that's the best way it would work. So all of you staunch advocates about lowering your carbon footprint, me, no, I am not. I am not for lowering carbon dioxide. I am not at all. In fact, I know, I guess I am smart enough to know that carbon dioxide is a nutrient for plants. When we have more carbon dioxide, plants grow better. We have a greener earth. It sustains a larger population. The anti-carbon narrative, if you're not aware, the carbon is you. (laughs) The carbon they're trying to get rid of is you because you're a carbon-based life form. Me, I am pro-carbon. And in fact, after this podcast, I'm just going to go idle my diesel truck for a while. I'll post a video of it because that is my commitment. To life. <laughs> that is my commitment. I'm going to put a little more carbon into the atmosphere for you, dear listener. I am going to do it for you. So there you go. There is a lot of anti-family, a lot of anti-human, quite frankly, rhetoric going on in the world today. But what if you want to have a family? What if you do want to have a family these days? How are you going to support them? On what job will you support this family? Are you a hedge fund manager? Because let me tell you, let me tell you, it is expensive. Have you seen the price of houses these days? Families are expensive. And there is a financial attack on the family. My heart really does go out to young people starting a family these days. It's not easy. And the middle class has been essentially financially mercilessly raped by the greedy boomer politicians and bankers who have offshored our jobs with NAFTA and and like adding China to the World Trade Organization. These essentially scam banking policies that have been propped up by the government, that have pulled the financial ladder out from, uh, I should say, pulled up the financial ladder after themselves and really leaving none of it left for the the new and upcoming uh, class of families, the new and upcoming uh, modern family, because uh, because they kept it all for themselves. The uh, the the growing divide between the ultra wealthy and the ever shrinking middle class—it's really quite disgusting. And uh, and uh, and that's you boomers. I mean, not all of you, but uh, that baby boomer generation has has really hollowed out the middle class in this country now. Finally, here we go. So I'll, I'm going to get to Elizabeth Warren. Here we are at Elizabeth Warren because we're now speaking about families and finance. (laughs) And, um, and this is why I love Elizabeth Warren because she is a financial genius when it comes to the family. She's based, she is like a griper economist. (laughs) And if you're not aware what a groiper is, this is a, uh, are like followers of Nick, Nick Fuentes. He's one of these kind of dissident right wing guys. And anyway, uh, yeah. So Elizabeth Warren, super based, the groiper economist for families. She, um, it's unfortunate cause she's, I, I feel like she's caught in this two party system nonsense and I wish she would just come over to the based. Side Because on economics and on things that have uh, tangible, real effects, uh, these things that, you know, use hard mathematics to prove she's really based. And that's because she's smart and she realizes that you can't fudge those things. And so. And so it bothers me. <laughs> it bothers me that she um, like isn't fully on the the right side of everything now when when the dummies when the when the idiots say dumb things uh, it doesn't bother me at all I, I think about like Corey Bush and like Maisie Hirono Maisie Hirono might be the dumbest person in government and that's saying a lot when the, when they say dumb things it doesn't bother me but when really smart people who get it say dumb things <laughs> oh it cuts like a knife I just hate it. And so, so although, although Elizabeth Warren is, is not an Indian, (laughs) despite her recipe for powwow chow, (laughs) despite her not being those things, I do think she is pretty much a genius. She's very smart. She wrote a book called The Two Income Trap, and it's a really good book about the financial struggles that plague the modern middle-class family. She makes these really good clear cases for how the banking industrial complex and bad governmental legislation have stripped families of their financial security. The, uh, the two income trap is, uh, the, the title of the book, the two income trap it's, it's basically showing how two income households. So essentially, uh, wages, real wages haven't increased since like the 1950s or something. It's crazy. But now families, most families have two incomes. They have two working parents. The problem with that is it sets these families up for financial catastrophe, And she has a lot of statistics to back this up, but the point is a two income family where both parents are working previously when one parent households or one parent was working in a household, the other parent was the financial fail safe. They were the backup. So if say the working parent, which was the father was injured or somehow couldn't sustain the family's income, the mother could temporarily or even permanently jump in to subsidize the family's financial needs. And this was a, it was a a, a big, um, a big fail safe. It was a, it was a, a, a real, um, added benefit to families when they were facing these economic sort of cataclysms. And so now that's not the case. And she lays out just what a precarious situation the uh, modern family is in by the way that we have incentivized these households where both parents are working full time and most of the time out of the house. So, again, back to this you know, this, this focus on, on you being a worker for the machine rather than your real work being that domestic work that the communists hate so much. And, uh, don't worry, you know, don't worry. The, the community will raise your family. You're, you're not needed anymore. You're needed at the factory. You're needed to produce in the system. So anyway, I'm telling you that book, uh, it's super based. It's from 2014. I love that book. You should read it. It's it's really good. And also, I've been a longtime advocate for school choice. I really love school choice. I love the voucher program because our schools are dog shit, a lot of them. And it really comes down to where you live. So if you live in these very expensive neighborhoods, if you can afford the expensive houses, You get really good schools if you're poor, if you're a single income household and you can't afford the good house. Well, your kids are stuck in that shitty school district. And so Elizabeth Warren, in her book, she is advocating for uh, school choice, for the voucher system. And I love that. Here's a quote from the book. Any policy that loosens the ironclad relationship between location, 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 which refers to good and expensive housing. And school, 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 which refers to the good schools, would eliminate the need for parents to pay an inflated price for a home just because it happens to lie within the boundaries of a desirable school district. And she advocates for fully funded vouchers, quote, fully funded vouchers, which I love. I'm all about that. And uh, would it be difficult? Would it be a difficult transition at first? Yes, of course it would. But the inevitable goal of a system like this would be to bring the schools that are struggling up because when all that federal money, those vouchers that represent federal funds, flee from the bad schools into the good schools, these, these schools in this kind of free market system would have to improve to incentivize the the parents of those children to bring them back. So I am all for it. And I think the system we have right now just perpetuates, um, perpetuates poverty and struggling families. So I'm all about the school vouchers. Thank you, Elizabeth Warren, for also advocating for that She's great. It's a great book. (laughs) At one point she even advocates for big cars, like big SUVs, because they're safer for children. I love that. So based. (laughs) And uh, she even throws Hillary Clinton under the bus for flip-flopping on some bankruptcy reform stuff. So if for nothing else for that, it's a great book because unlike Elizabeth Warren, I hate Hillary Clinton. I am not with Her (laughs) or her rapey husband, allegedly, allegedly. (laughs) All right. Unfortunately, where where she misses the mark in the two income track trap is her solutions to these problems. She basically recommends uh, more government for the failures of government. And, uh, you know, that's, that's your standard bureaucratic response to any of this stuff. She thinks more government's going to fix the problem that government has already caused. And so that's unfortunate, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Liz, come on over to the Bayside. I will be your new campaign manager. I'll do it free of charge. (laughs) (coughs) I'm holding out hope for Liz. I'm holding out hope. And speaking of holding out hope, I am holding out hope for the family because I believe I believe that it is our our natural and our innate instinct to uh, have strong families. And if not for the uh, legislative, the financial and the, uh, you know, just governmental inputs, I think that's the way that that people and society would naturally organize and orient themselves but there are countries there are governments like poland that are instituting these pro-family policies trying to incentivize the big strong families again now i'm not for government uh, really trying to pull the levers on this one i'd prefer if it happened naturally but hey if government screwed it up in the first place i will welcome your incentives to fix the problem that we're in now. I just heard Trump talk about wanting to usher in a new baby boom. I'm not sure how he's gonna do it. <laughs> but uh hey, the sentiment is in the right direction. Uh Mr. Trump, Donald Trump, you can start by coming out against the vaccines. That would be a good start if you want big families. <sighs> that guy. Anyway. Also, let's, uh, oh, you know what? Also, I have to mention, I just read, I just read a story about, uh, this Texas bill. It's a bill in Texas that would give you 10% off your property taxes for each kid that you have. And, uh, it's only for heterosexual parents, very based. (laughs) I love that. But, uh, 10% for each kid with no cap, with no cap. So if you have 10 kids you get a hundred percent off your property taxes. You pay no property taxes. And let me tell you, I pay a ton, an absolute ton of property taxes. So if that policy comes to Connecticut, the goal, (laughs) the goal in the conspiracy guide household (laughs) is 10 kids. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's very Texas. I hope that happens. But uh, what is the real solution? What is the solution that we can do? I mean, the solution is obvious. If you want to have a family, have a family. If you don't want to, again, you do you, boo-boo. But the point is, try not to be influenced by the rhetoric and the propaganda. If you want to have a family, shoot first and ask questions later. Go ahead and do it. (laughs) I think that's great. It's not easy, but uh, rarely are the good things in life easy. So let's not try to reduce ourselves to worker, uh, working for this machine like the communists would have us and let's, and, and I can take my advice on this one because I'm not good about this one either, but I think we can devote, uh, more, more attention and, uh, more incentives at the highest levels to to preserving and um, to to focusing on the family, I could I could spend less money buying Chinese crap on Amazon, the sort of shiny trinkets and uh, and and screens that that fill our lives today, and, and use that time to spend more quality time with my family. And that's why this topic was on my mind. Because when I was on vacation, I got to focus more on these things. And it really is fulfilling. But I think we get lost sometimes in the day to day. So in the end, what can we do? I think we can really try to focus on the family structure, trying to prop it up and trying to make it the best that we can. Because because nobody looks back nobody looks back at the end of their life and they're thankful for the extra hours that they work they're they're not thankful for the few extra widgets they produced for the company or the few more things they could buy from the company store which is amazon these days so so anyway that is my presentation on the family so I just want you I just want you to be Happy and fulfilled and not be part of some master planned scheme by the powers that ought not be. So anyway, that's all. That's all I've got. The book for today is obviously The Two Income Trap, great book by Elizabeth Warren and her daughter, although I think Elizabeth is the brain trust in that book. Um, But it's a great book. I'll post a link to it if you want to check out that book. I also have a bunch of other links for this one. So check out the show notes for those links. And um, barely making the cutoff on this one. Just just barely making the cutoff again because, as I said, I just got back from Florida. So even though it's really late and I'm here in my basement, I can tell you that I don't feel no ways tired.
1: God love you. I don't feel no ways tired. I bet somebody here tonight can say I've been running for Jesus 20 years. Somebody else can say I've been running 30 years. And I don't feel no waste time. I've come too far from where I started. Nobody told me the road would be easy. I don't believe he brought me this far.